there's weather blowing through. Love Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, as always, we're going to be starting off with a very interesting round of Coach's Corner. Um, and just a quick uh, side note, uh, one of our panelists, uh, Jamie uh, Zimron, is not going to be joining us tonight. Uh, unfortunately, she had uh, something come up here uh, kind of last minute, and uh, she sends her apologies and, and her, her, uh, her, her best to the rest of the panelists and, and assures me she'll be on the next time. So, uh, but I got two great uh, panelists uh, waiting in the wings. Of course, they've been on uh, a number of times over the uh, the last several years on the show, both as guests and, and panelists. And I'll tell you a little bit about them in just a minute. But let me just remind everybody: of course, we are live uh, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on BlogTalkRadio.com uh, network. Just go to BlogTalkRadio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the um, homepage, if you will, and just simply. Uh, front and center during the live broadcast from 6 to, to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, for some reason, if you can't join us live, just scroll down that page to the on-demand section, and you will see all of the previously aired shows, including tonight, uh, in their entirety. There. entirety excuse me. Uh, the recorded versions are all uh, housed there, if you will, in the uh, on-demand section. For some reason, if you want to listen, uh, there's a number of other great ways you can tune into the program. Uh, go to iTunes.com and Stitcher.com and now TuneIn.com. Uh, again, just simply type in Golf Talk Live, and you can listen on any of those great social media platforms as well. Um, but glad you're tuning in live for those of you who are here, and uh, we're, we've got a great show for you. As I said, we've got Coach's Corner uh, coming up here for the first hour, and then a little bit uh, later in the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by my good friend, uh, one of the top 100 teachers in America, uh, Tom Patrick, is going to be joining me here on the second half of the show, so you want to make sure you stick around for that. Um, also, uh, I update on the show, just uh, another quick uh, mention here, and then uh, we'll bring up the, uh, the panel for Coach's Corner tonight. Uh, if you want to get updates for the show, you can go to facebook.com forward slash Golf Talk Live blog. That's the main uh, homepage, if you will, for the show. And uh, update uh, every week who's going to be on, who's going to be on the panel, and uh, some great guests and things like that. Uh, you can also, on my personal page, if you type in Ted, last name, I'll spell it as O-D-O-R-I-C-O, uh, I also update there as well, and a few other pages as well, and uh, just navigate around, you'll find it. Um, also on uh, LinkedIn.com under my personal name, and also on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO, CEO of course in capital letters, uh, you'll find it there as well. So glad you could join us tonight. Let me uh, introduce the, uh, the gentleman on the panel tonight, and, uh, and then we'll get into our discussion. Uh, first up, of course, is Bill Abrams. He's been on the show, as I said, uh, many times, both as a uh, guest panelist uh, but also as a, a special guest on Golf Talk Live. And he's a PGA professional and the owner and director of instruction uh, for Golf Solutions Academy up at uh, Balmoral Woods in Crate, Illinois. 
He's also uh, at the uh, Golf Channel Academy with uh, David Impastado at Heron Bay in Coral Springs, Florida. Also uh, rounding out the panel, of course, is Chuck Evans. He's a Golf Magazine's Top 100 teacher, uh, Golf Digest uh, Top Teachers in America, and a Top 50 Growth of the Game teacher as well. And he's now uh, here recently been brought back to my neck of the woods, if you will, as the Director of Instruction at the Emerald Bay Golf uh, Course in Destin, Florida, and also the owner of uh, Chuck Evans Golf as well. Uh, Guys, welcome back to uh, Coach's Corner Panel. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for having us, Ted. It's always a pleasure. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And and as I always say, uh, thank you guys for um, always doing a a fantastic job, and thank you for giving of your time. I know it's not always easy sometimes having to rush home or uh, off the course or or make make arrangements to to be here for this time. I know it's uh, at the end of the day we're all kind of tired, so... Uh, I appreciate you guys giving of your time. Um, all right, so guys, what we're going to do tonight, uh, I've got a couple of scenarios. I've actually got three scenarios, and within the scenario, uh, or each of the scenarios, there's kind of two different options. And how we're going to do this tonight is I'm going to uh, give you the, each scenario as we go along, and uh, I'm going to start with one of you. And I think what I'm going to do, Chuck, I'm going to start with you, uh, and then, then Bill. But what I want you to do is, Within each scenario, there's, there's two different versions, if you will. I want you to pick whichever version you want to uh, nail. The other person is going to take the other version of it. Uh, they're very similar, but a little, few little twists. And then what I want you to do is when I go to the next scenario, uh, I'm going to flip the order, and the person that went first is going to go last and, and vice versa, and you're going to get an option on the second scenario of which version you want to have. So hopefully that makes sense, and if not, well, I'll be more than happy to explain it again if, as we go along. Uh, okay, Chuck, so I'm going to start with you, and, and here's really the first scenario. Um, you know, we, we get a lot of club golfers out there, a lot of amateur golfers that, um, you know, and I'm going to give you some, some variables, if you will, just so you have an idea of what to work with. Um, we're talking mainly about our mid to high handicappers, because those are the ones that really seem to be struggling uh, to lower their handicap. Um, so I, I want you to either take that scenario, and I'm going to explain to you what I want you to do with that, uh, or we're going to talk about a golfer that maybe, again, falls normally into that category, but maybe stepped away from the game for a number of years and is now coming back. So what I want you to do is you can either take a current player uh, in that range or somebody that's been out of the, the game for a little while. What I want you to do is what's your approach? If this person comes into your uh, golf course or your facility or maybe reaches out to you uh, through correspondence, what have you, or, or referred by a friend, what's going to be your approach with that individual? Uh, and how you're going to get them started, and what kind of a game plan are you going to put together uh, to help them reduce those numbers a little bit. So pick which one you want to do, and then, Bill, you're going to do the opposite. I'll do the person that hasn't been out in a while. Okay, so, so we got so our struggling he, golfer. Yeah, who's, he's been away. So, okay, go ahead. Yep. He's, so he's been away from the game, or she's been away from the game for a while, you know, due to family, job, whatever, and now they're trying to get back in it. So... Uh, the first thing that I typically do is I have them hit some shots while I'm while I'm watching. I'm watching their setup. I'm watching their grip. I'm watching their ball flight. Um, and then I, I put them through a, uh, a what I call a little brief physical assessment to see what their body actually wants to do. Uh, that gives me a clue because most people don't don't swing the club the way their body's designed. They do something totally different. Of what they saw on the PGA Tour player do, uh, and then what we do if there's if, uh, once once we've done that, we basically start 
with small motion swings, two feet in either direction. So you could call it a chip or even a small pitch. And in that, in that, we're looking at um, trying to get them moving the club again the way that they're designed, uh, their body-wise, their physical makeup. So we always start off with smaller swings, uh, and then from there we'll go up to half swings, and then from there we go up to full swings. But what predicates a movement to the next level is is how quickly they they can replicate the first level. So you know, if, if we start off with a with a swing in two foot motion, um, and then right. they pick that up rather quickly, we may go to the next piece, which is a half swing. Uh, but we I gradually bring them up that way um, because if they haven't played in a while. They they basically need to need to kind of reformulate their ideas in their mind of what they're what they're trying to do, uh, and get rid of the ideas of what they what they think they need to do. So. That's kind of how I do it. Right. Well said. Um, and, and uh, Bill, I'm going to add just a little bit of a twist to, to your version. You're going to mm-hmm. have the, the golfer, of course, that's, that's still been playing, uh, but still struggling to get that handicap down. But I, I want to ask the question a little bit differently. I want to kind of get your approach on things. But I think it, it, it kind of behooves us a little bit. I think we need to ask, really, the first question of the player is, what are their goals and what do they want to accomplish? Um, because I think one of the mistakes that a lot of uh, golf professionals make is, you know, we don't want to just book somebody with a bunch of lessons and say, okay, we're going to try and work some of these kinks out and get your numbers down. Um, I think we need to find out what it is that they want from this experience. What's their, their short-term and what's their long-term goals? And if they don't have them, then we need to s- sort of help them work through them. So where do you go from here? You've got somebody coming in that's still playing and maybe they're somewhere between the fifth, and 25 handicap uh how how do you go from here well the first thing and you hit it spot on there is interview i talk to them as we're riding out to the range we may stop and have a cup of coffee if it's a brand new player to my um to my system and my programs i'll basically do a uh an analysis first we'll we'll talk a lot and i listen and this is the biggest key to me is i've got to listen and get feedback from the player and i emphasize to them we're working as a team here we're not working as me telling you what to do. We've got to work from a, as a team. I need feedback from them. They need to give, and I will give them feedback. As that process goes on, you know, I get right down to the very end. I ask them about physical injuries, other sports they do, what they do for a career, um, so I can find some parallels to make the communication work a lot better and a lot more efficient. As we go through that process, then the last question I ask them, if there was one shot in golf or one thing that you could do better that'll make you happier and make you play more golf, what is it? And, you know, right. we always as teachers, when a new player comes to us, we got to take them to the putting green, we got to chip, we got to pitch. Well, I have some players that if they could get the ball in the fairway and wouldn't lose as many golf balls, they would play a ton more. And I think that's one of the things right. to me that has to happen is it's a communication is a two-way street. It's not just me telling them what right. to do, but I also have to take their keys and feedback and be able to apply it to get them the happiest that they can be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, a, a great answer, by the way, um, both of you. You know, I, I think one of the primary things as instructors, and, and this is why I sort of threw this out there um, with you, Bill, is, you know, it, it's great that we want to get lessons, we want to book lessons with, with our students and that, but a lot of times I think what 
equally adds to their frustration is, especially if they've been out of the game uh, for a little while and they're, they're you know, interested in coming back in, we've got to be careful that we understand why, you know, we, we want to make sure they come back in, obviously, but we want to find out what they're reasoning. You know, maybe, maybe they've got kids that are, uh, you know, going through school, uh, maybe they've graduated, so they've got more free time. You know, again, depending on their age, they've got more free time, uh, a little more disposable income. They've paid for college or helped to pay for college uh, for their kids, and they want to get back in. So we want to make sure that that experience uh, is going to be a good one. And if they've been struggling for years and years and years, the last thing that they want to do is get out there and necessarily reinvent the wheel uh, or get booked for a bunch of lessons that are just going to add to the frustration. So we've got to make sure that we're very careful and analyzing and understanding what their needs are. And if there's a way that we can help navigate that uh, into some sort of a program that's going to give them the experience that they're looking for, uh, by all means, I'll, I'll, I'm all for that. But I think we have to guard against trying to just sort of uh, say, well, let's work over the next 30 days on these different things. Um, and then, uh, you know, overcomplicating a situation that maybe doesn't need to go that route. Uh, well, what are your thoughts on exactly. that, Chuck? And, and then uh, Bill. Well, um, I, I do one session at a time. So, um, you know, I right. have yearly retainers. I have three-month, six-month, nine-month, 12-month retainer programs. Uh, I don't do a lot of one-offs, but that's by design. So, you know, I do one half-day, full-day, and two-day schools as well. So, you know, my my objective is to to give them as much knowledge as I possibly can that that they can absorb and apply because eventually they need to be their own coach. Um, You know, while that's not profitable to me, uh, it, it helps them. And sometimes I'll give them only part of an answer because I want them to use their brain and figure out the rest of it. Because if I give them step mm-hmm. by step by step by step, it's some people retain it easier, but some people re- retain it better if they actually kind of figure it out for themselves once you've given them a couple of the small pieces. So right. I, I, like to leave, I like to leave a little piece out and let them let them think about it and chew on it. They'll say, hey, I figured, I thought if I did this, this, and this, it would do this. Well, good. That's them thinking. That's what they need to do. Because we can't be with right, them exactly. every step they're out there on the golf course, you know. So, can't be with them every yeah, step. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think you've got you've to give them a little bit of information, um, and, and you've got to be, you've got to almost turn on a switch inside the student a little bit to, to be a little bit more mm-hmm. proactive because that, that is one of the problems. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Chuck, because I think one of the problems that we see uh, with a lot of students is uh, certainly some of them are very uh, aggressive and, and willing to jump right in there, and a lot of others are very apprehensive. So it's almost like, I hate to use the word homework, but you've got to give them a little bit of information, and then they've got to do a little problem solving on their own. That doesn't mean you're not there at some point to help them along uh, as time goes on, but you're exactly right. You've got to get them engaged, I guess is the word I'm looking for, because if they're not right. engaged and they're just solely relying, you know, relying on you to lay it out for them, um, then they're not really you know, investing their time or efforts uh, into sort of problem solving, as you said. Um, very good answers, right. guys. And, very and, interesting. And, 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 I, and I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I particularly don't want them to become instructor dependent. You know? uh, right. They, they need right. to be able exactly. to figure things out. And if they can't figure it out, then they come and see me, you know. But but the plan is to is to make them their own swing coach. That's that's what's planned when I work mm-hmm. with people. So 
Yeah. And Bill, what do you think about that too? I mean, I, I think I agree with that as well. I think that we want to give them obviously the, the, the nuts and bolts, if you will, to a certain degree. Um, but as Chuck said, you know, they're, we're not going to be there 24 seven. So when they get out in the golf course, if they're playing in their club championship uh, or they're playing, you know, maybe in a, in a corporate event, um, they've got to be able to use their noggin, if you will, to be able to, to, you know, they can certainly refer to things that we've we've taught them and, and shown them and, and explained to them, but they've got to be able to sort of put that into to practice now. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely, and I can't agree with Chuck more about uh, creating, uh, their, being their own swing coach, and especially with the younger players that are going to play collegiately and stuff, because we have too many times, as he said, you get coach dependent, and there's uh, is, we have helicopter parents, we have helicopter coaches, we have to yeah. video every swing. We yeah. have to do all this. Yeah. And that goes into the learning curve, as you talked about earlier. I do a quick little test on each player to figure out how they, they best, and I don't want to call it a learning curve, but how they adapt to information handed to them. Do they visually get it? Do they kinesthetically get it as feel? Or do they audio get it best? And then we try to turn everything around that so they, they can get their comfort level to a, to a degree where they're very confident when we suggest something and they can understand the benefit of it, they adapt it very quickly. Yeah, and, and let me just add one quick point. Um, uh, I, I'm all for videotaping. I mean, it's a great tool, uh, both for the coach and that. Uh, but if you've got a player that, that needs to feel what's actually happening, you can show them all the video they want. Uh, they'll see what things look like, but if they can't actually feel it, uh, a lot of times it, get, it gets lost, even with the video. So sometimes we have to be careful that we need to understand first and foremost how that person learns and absorbs the information that we're giving to them. Because if we're teaching them in a method that's not uh, conducive for their learning style, uh, then again, you're going to be just wasting uh, lesson after lesson throughout the season and the frustration levels are going to uh, just escalate. Um, uh, great, uh, great responses, guys. Thanks. Um, okay, Bill, take a deep breath because I'm coming back to you. And, and here's our second scenario, and I'm going to give you two options here, and you're going to uh, pick whichever one you want. Uh, and you actually kind of laid this out very well. Uh, we're talking about uh, our collegiate golfers. Um, you know, we've got some, some great collegiate golfers, uh, and again, it could be male or female, whatever you want. Um, and, and this particular scenario, we've got two options. Uh, our first option is we're, we're dealing with a, a Division One player uh, who's, uh, who's come off two NCAA uh, NCAA, sorry, uh, championships, so a very accomplished uh, collegiate player uh, that wants to uh, move to the next level, if you will, uh, has, you know, maybe their visions is, is to, to play out on the tour. Uh, that's something, obviously, you're going to have to ascertain uh, as you uh, develop with the individual. And then the other option is a player that wants to play Division One, that wants to get to that next level. So they're not quite there yet, um, but their aspirations. So how do you approach uh, whichever one you're going to take, let me know which one you're going to take first so we understand, and then, Chuck, you're going to take the opposite. Okay. I'm going to take the one that wants to aspire to play Division One because I think it sometimes that's a little bit more of a challenge for us because we have to get the reality yep. base. One of the things I do is I've got several players that, um, a few of them that are definitely overachievers play in Division One. Um, they've had ups and downs in their career. I try to enlist their help and have the, the younger players play some rounds with these players, see how, they're, how consistent their routine is, see how consistent their short game is, see where they're not making errors that that younger player may, and, and talk to them. I'm a, I'm a big fan of communication. Part of the problem is we mm -hmm. communicate one way with our mouth and don't use our ears. 
And I really enforce that to the players that you got to listen and hear what these people are telling you because they've, they've got some sage wisdom that you haven't seen yet and can help you get around some things. And I really feel, um, you know, once we get to that sophomore year of high school, they better be playing in some bigger events. And I know AJGA is yep. always affordable for players. Um, you know, I'm doing the U.S. national junior team at Balmoral Woods here for the first year. We have some other options that we can do when cost becomes a little bit prohibitive to do the AJGA, but getting in there and playing with better players, um, talking to them and trying to, you know, see how they compete and see how they, how they work, because that's the biggest key. When you can discover that way and see how other players do, and even some that haven't really maybe they were maybe a little flash in the pan and didn't, didn't develop as well as they are. You know, we could, we could don't always have to look at the good examples. We can also look at the poor because now we can take what the player's doing correctly and doing very, very, very efficiently and add to that with their, their shortcomings and really make those shortcomings short up and those strengths even stronger. Right. Well said. Um, uh, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, I, I want to just go back to the first point, and, and this is really, um, I think, key in anything you do, doesn't matter whether it's golf instruction you know, or any other sort of business uh, or even just day-to-day life. Uh, communication is a two-way street, and it's, you know, there's a reason we were given two ears and one mouth, and I know this is a very old saying, but you, you need to listen twice as much as you speak. And I think one of the problems uh, in, in many walks of life, but uh, even in, in our industry as well, is I think we really need to listen and understand what the student wants, what they're looking to uh, accomplish, and what they're trying to say to us. Because sometimes we get caught up in our own hyperbole, if you will, uh, in, in, in instruction, and we're, we're thinking about, okay, this is what I want to do, and we're thinking about what we want to do as opposed to sometimes listening to what it is they want us to do or need for us to do. So we have to make sure that first and foremost we listen. Uh, and again, uh, I like your, your thoughts about getting them to compete against uh, others that, that uh, obviously are aspiring or maybe even a little better than them uh, in order to create that, that competition because they need to be able to be on their game if they want to play at that level. So that's, that's critical. It's, it's great to get out there and beat balls and to, to play against themselves, but they need to compete against others um, that they may be competing with at some point uh, down the road. Uh, in order to, to sort of fine-tune some of those skills. So, so some great, uh, great uh, suggestions there, Bill. Thank you. Um, Chuck, I'm going to give you the, the opposite. Uh, now we've got a player who's made it to Division One. They've had some success. They've been, uh, uh, had a few championships under their belt, and uh, they're feeling pretty good about themselves. Um, you know, you've talked to them maybe a little bit, and they've got aspirations of, of playing uh, you know, more competitive golf and possibly making it out on the big stage. How do you approach this player? Uh, you know, if, if they've come to you and said, Chuck, I need uh, some help and I want you to, to put something together for me, uh, what do you do with them and, and how do you approach it? Well, you know, any player that, that wants to play beyond college, uh, whether it be on, on the minis or, or in PGA Tour or Europe or whatever, uh, the first thing you have to have is a real-world conversation with them um, because the world is filled with great collegiate players that never got on tour or got on there and just didn't last. Um, right. So, so the first thing is, is you, you have to really reset expectations. And those expectations, 
you know, it, you know the the average the average handicap for a tour player is you know they're a plus four. So a kid comes out of mm-hmm. school and he's got and he and he's and he's uh you know he's shooting seventy all the time. That that's not going to do it out on tour. Um, you can have you can have be a great ball striker. If you have a poor short game, uh, you're you're not going to win very much. Um, but on the other side of the coin, you can be a mediocre ball striker and have a great short game, and you're going to win tournaments. And then you can have all right. these physical tools. You can have all these physical tools, but if your mind isn't right uh, and you can't control mm-hmm. your emotions, your anxieties, whatever it is, I mean. Again, all you have to do is go look at the old uh, uh, Hooters tour and and, and the, and the uh, web.com. Those guys are out there shooting 64, 65 every single day. Some of them make yep. it and some of them don't, you know. So so really, you, you I try not to set the bar so high that they can't reach it. But, you know, you've got, you've got to get all those aspects of your game. You know, your family, and I tell them this a lot, you know, if you go out and you, and you try to play, you can't just go out and play week after week after week after week. On the other side of the coin, you can't go out. You can't go out and play one week and take three weeks off. Um, so you right, have to have right. time. You have to have time for your life and for the people that help support you uh, and have supported you throughout your golf career, whether it be your parents, whether it be your wife, whatever it is. Um, so there's just a lot, a lot of variables getting ready to go out there with the big boys. Uh, you know, there are some yep. players that, that they would do good going to play in Asia or, or, or Europe. And there's other players that will go over there and, and they absolutely hate it. They're, they're tens of thousands of miles away from anybody they know. They're super uncomfortable. And as soon as that happens, their golf game starts deteriorating. So for, for some people, that's not a good choice. Um, I try to tell all the, all the players uh, that I work with that have those aspirations to play in the U.S., play in state opens, go to Monday qualifiers, play the mini tours. I mean, you know, long before the wed.com, uh, you look at, at uh, uh, Steve Flesh, Zach Johnson, uh, Tom Lehman, that, it, it took them all years. You know, they played the mini tours yes. for years before they finally got their break. So, you know, if you expect to go out there and think you're going to make it the first year, well, you're, you know, some people will, but you, but your plan had better be for a three-year plan. So. Right. Now, and some say is very uh, sage advice. I, I agree with that, Chuck. And I think uh, you're, you're exactly right in your analysis. I think that a lot of times, you know, uh, and, and again, I, I think, you know, when we were, younger and and we all had all had different aspirations and and wanted to do and and conquer the world uh sort of speak and i think a lot of us as we mature and and age a little bit realize that you have to have an understanding of what you're getting yourself into and i think that is a conversation you're you're you hit it right on the head i think both for parents and for the coach or potential coach has to sit that individual down, has to say, okay, look, you've been playing the last, you know, several years collegiately. You've got a, a great career. You've got, uh, or, or, you know, you've had some great, uh, great moments in college, but you were surrounded by your teammates. You had other, uh, you know, other people around you, support people. Out on tour, it's a much different thing. You may not have that family support, or you may not have, you don't have teammates. You're on your own now. You've got your caddy and, 
and and maybe if you you know you've got a, a, some deep pockets you might have uh, you know a swing coach that can travel around or communicate with you on a regular basis but but the truth of the matter is you're you're essentially on your own and I think a lot of people look at the the glamour of of tour life and think that's exciting out there you know playing against the best and I want to you know I want to duke it out with Rory and 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 Jordan and all these other guys and even Tiger uh, for some. But the truth of the matter is it can be very lonely for a lot of people uh, out there. Like, as you said, if you're traveling around the world and you're playing over in Asia or something, you don't know anybody. Um, and you haven't really gotten to know anybody else on tour yet. Um, sometimes they'll buddy up and, and travel together in some cases, but a lot of times you're there by yourself. And it's a tough grind. Uh, I want to give you a good example, and then we're going to move on to the next scenario. Uh, you know, you mentioned about, uh, Chuck, about, you know, not playing – you know, go out playing one week and, and uh, maybe not playing for, for three weeks. Um, a, a great player, in fact, he was a Masters winner that comes to mind with that is Mike Weir from Canada. You know, Mike, Mike Weir right. won the Masters tournament uh, a number of years back, and uh, he decided that, you know, he wanted to spend more time with his family and took several weeks off many times in, throughout his career. And then when he came back, you know, his game was just not there. Um, so you can't do that. But on the flip side, you can't be playing, as you said, week in, week out, uh, and, and expect to keep that pace throughout, uh, throughout the year um, without having some breaks in there as well because you're going to burn yourself out. So it's a balancing act, and a lot of tough questions have to be asked, and a lot of answers have to be really carefully thought out. Um, and I agree with what you said. Get out there on some of the, the mini tours and play here in the U.S. You know, test your chops out there with, with some very uh, accomplished players, uh, and really see whether or not this is what you want, uh, want, because a lot of times what you see on TV is not what's really going on. And I think once you get your, your feet uh, you know, diving in there, it, it can be a little bit uh, of an eye-opener for some. But uh, great, uh, great answers, guys. I, I, like, uh, I like some of the, the stuff that's, uh, that's coming back on these. All right, our, our last scenario that we're going to talk about is one that is probably a lot more common. And let me just back up before I, I say this one. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this show tonight is I get asked a lot of times uh, by different people, you know, I fall into this category, I, I don't know what to do, and, and, and I'm kind of a little bit lost. So I wanted to create a, a few different scenarios that might apply to some of the listeners out there. So we might obviously have a lot of high handicapper and uh, mid to high handicappers out there that uh, have left the game, and, and we've got some others that are still in there that are struggling. So I wanted to get some, some thoughts and feedback there. Plus, we've got some college uh, folks that are tuning into the show as well. Um, we want to give them a little bit of food to think about. And this last category is another one that's uh, starting to grow a little bit as more women get into the game, uh, and that is couples. So I'm going to go back to you, Chuck. We're going to so take a deep breath. We're coming back to you, and then, Bill, you're going to uh, sort of take the opposite, uh, if you will. Um, one of the things that we get a lot of times, couples will come, in this particular uh, scenario, uh, he's played, you know, on and off throughout the years in different ways. He's, uh, again, not uh, certainly an accomplished player, um, but she's new to the game. My question to you, Chuck, is this, and, and Bill, it's kind of the same for you as well, mm -hmm. is do we teach them as a couple or do we split them up? and teach them independently, and if so, why, and, and talk about how the, the approaches are going to be. So obviously, in this particular case, the husband has played uh, some golf over the years, so we'll, uh, again, say he's a, maybe a mid to high handicap, so he's a pretty decent golfer, not terribly great, but not too bad, um, but she's never played before. How do we handle that type of scenario? They come as a couple. Do we teach them as a couple, 
uh, or do we suggest that we break it up and I'm going to teach him and, and uh, I'm going to teach her a little bit differently? How do we handle that, Chuck? Well, so the first thing I ask him is, is how long they have been happily married. And then once they tell me that, I said, well, if you want to remain happily married, never teach your spouse. So, so right. Um, yeah. So the, the, you know, some, uh, like I have a couple that, that scheduled to come and see me and they want to, they want to come for the same time frame, And that's, and that's fine. I just separate two. I will, you know, I'll, I'll get, I'll get them started, but I'm going to work with them individually. And and I will I will tell them I said look you know what you are a whatever you are you do for a living this is what I do for a living so I'm going to make uh, you know I, I prefer you know that that we don't do the husband wife thing so as soon as you leave here the husband goes no 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 you're not doing that right you got to do it this way um, right because I've seen that seen that way too many times so if they want to come together then I do split them up. But normally when a couple will, will say they want to do something together, I will say, okay, well, why don't you come at this time, and then, uh, you know, the wife can or the husband can come at this time. I'll split them up, but I'll have them come in a half hour later. So if they're, for, if they're there for an hour, I'll, I'll work with one for a half hour, and then I'll work with the other one for a half hour. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, like, that. I like that scenario, and I think that's a wise – uh, wise thing to do is to ask them right up front how long they've been happily married. Um, yeah. You're, you're yeah. exactly right. You want to know that information. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, Bill, I'm going to give you uh, essentially the same scenario. Um, but what I want to ask you is, is this. Um, I, I agree with what Chuck said. I, I think it's a big no-no uh, to teach them. Now, some couples come in and say, you know, we want to take a lesson together. Uh, I don't agree in doing that for a multitude of reasons, especially given this scenario. Uh, because he has played before and she's never played. So the approaches are going to be different how you handle them. Um, so talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that. How are you going to handle him and how you're going to handle her uh, and, and uh, go from there? Well, it, it's no different than any other student. I have to assess where each player is and what each player needs to do and wants to do. But I differ with you guys just a little bit. I actually invite the, the other spouse to, to at least watch some shots and hear the communication. Because going down the line, what you guys are saying, if there's, a, if there's a miscommunication, even with all the best intents, now that newer player can get very right. frustrated. I want the, the stream of information to be very consistent. You know, even though he may be, we may be looking at a little something different with him, I want him to understand, or her in this case, to understand that what we're trying to accomplish with, with the spouse. And I think that's a, you know, it's a little bold approach that I've taken. It's the same with, uh, with juniors. When the parent is a little overbearing, I ask the parent to bring their seven iron to the next session and have the child give them a lesson. So, uh, you know, it, it really, right. I think more lines of communication you open up so we can keep the message to either one very consistent is good. And yeah, there are different things. If it, the, the fellow's like a 15 and we're working on a little bit more shallow and not a swing because he's steep and across, but we're just working on her getting yeah. through, getting the right yeah. side through the shot and making some contact. I mean, they'll catch things, but the biggest thing that I have to avoid in any of those family situations is when the, the communication, that, that flow of communication, the information gets fouled up somehow you know, albeit many times with good intention, it just doesn't, you know, the same words don't come out because there are a hundred different ways to say the same thing. Our job as a coach is to find that one golden way to say it to a player so they can get the most out of it. 
Yeah, and you know what? You bring up a great uh, a great point, uh, and, and I think really uh, it can go either way. I think you know uh, Chuck has a valid point, and and I agree somewhat uh, with you as well, Chuck, about uh, you know keeping it separate. But I also see uh, Bill from your point of view as well. I think sometimes it is good to have it. I think one of the reasons why I've taken uh, a little bit more of the previous route uh, uh, view is because. Uh, a lot of times, in most cases, certainly not every case, but most cases, usually the husband's been playing for a little bit, and a lot of times they want to they want to kind of get in there and 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 sort of jump into the conversation a little bit, uh, or they want to sort of backseat uh, coach, if you will. Uh, the other thing, also too, especially for her, um, I, I know from speaking with a lot of great LPGA professionals out there, uh, there's still a lot of women, especially new to the game. One of the biggest fears or I should say not the biggest fear, but one of the biggest fears that a lot of women have that are new to the game, first and foremost, they don't want to look foolish out in the golf course. You know, they know they're not going to be an accomplished player uh, from day one, um, and, unless through some miracle of God they've been given a, a, a talent like you've uh, never seen. Um, so they know that they're going to be hitting some bad shots. Um, but they don't want to be put into an overly comfortable uh, environment too soon. And sometimes... Uh, you know, we have to be honest that, you know, when she's up there getting a lesson and she knows that her husband's watching, that adds to the anxiety a little bit. So that's one of the reasons I like to split them up a little bit. Um, But what I would agree with and what I I think is important, I think the initial uh, discussions with him and I think maybe the initial lesson plan, if you will, is maybe to have them a little bit separately with the option or with the, the intent to working them together uh, at some point, so that they can be uh, done that, and, and I agree with that. I think it is important to have them working together. Yeah. But I think initially, until she's comfortable, I think sometimes now, it's just my thought, and, and I, I think Chuck agrees, is sometimes you've got to keep them separate because it can be very intimidating for a lot of women that have never played before, um, you know, to, to have their husband chirping in the background or even to be watching. Uh, so it, it, just right. some thoughts there, and, and I think uh, well, I and think either way, that's the situation. Good. Yeah, go. yeah. That's is a situation we have to have yeah. control of the situation, much like a police officer does, you know, and 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 understand right. the and be able to communicate. And I'm not advocating all time full time together. Not, you know, my thought right. is more we've got to make sure that there is time together because, again, to me, and I've seen that so often with newer players, and I kind of tell that when I have a, yeah. a group of ladies yeah. come in together and they're all new, um, especially ladies. I said, now here's one of the things. You know, unless your your spouse or significant other is here listening to what we're saying, here's what I'd like to do when they pitch in. Put your fingers in your ears and make a face at them like you're a five-year-old. And uh, and that gets a little bit of a laugh and everything I said. But, you know, we want to, you know, have you know make it a little light of it. And then that makes them a little more comfortable. So, Right. Well, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of um, – uh, you know, I've heard a lot of women say to me, and, and as I said, you know, doing these shows for a number of years, um, you know, the, the Tuesday morning show, of course, that I do with Cindy, uh, the women of golf, of course, we talk with a lot of uh, women professionals, but also others that um, uh, are not necessarily golf professionals, but are in business. And, and one of the things that they've uncovered that can be very intimidating for a lot of, as I said, for a lot of women is when they're new to the game like that, in order for them to, to be comfortable, they've got to feel that they're not, you know, the center of attention at that particular point. 
Um, and one of the, the criticisms that I hear more often than not is they're coming out there because they know they're, it's something their husband enjoys doing. They want to feel a part of it. It's something that they can do together. They want to feel a part of it. But at the same time, uh, again, you get sometimes some aggressive uh, men out there that, that want to sort of put their two cents in all the time. And as Chuck was sort of alluding to, a lot of times it just it makes for an, an unhappy situation. So that's really right. Absolutely. was sort of my perspective from it as well. And, and I think it's, again, I think, you know, Bill, you, you've been very consistent throughout uh, the discussion in, in really emphasizing the communication uh, aspect of things. And I think it is not just with the coaches and, and the teacher professionals, but with the students as well. We've got to make sure that um, they understand what we're trying to relay to them and that we understand what it is that they want. Uh, so I, I think that line of communication really has to uh, to be flowing both directions and, uh, and not just one way from us. So I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, well, again, and, some, and, some I think, and I think that, that women, yeah. you know, I think that, that women get, in the, you know, they're the largest growth segment, but they're also the largest segment that drops out every year. And a lot of them get yes. in for, for the reason you just talked about. They get in because their husband plays golf or they get in because right. it's going to be good for business. There's all sorts of reasons, but but the reason it's missing is they actually wanted to give it. You know, they get in for all the other reasons except that the, that it's something they really want to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and also because they they know. I mean, you know, as we get more and more folks getting into those retirement years, um, you know, this is something that they can do together. So as, as golf professionals, we want to make the experience, for, for obviously for both of them, uh, a pleasurable one, but particularly for the women because, again, um, you know, a lot of women haven't played golf, uh, uh, you know, for, for many years or maybe at all. And we want to make sure that the moment they step onto that uh, um, golf course, and I don't mean necessarily out uh, on the tee or, or on the green, but when they drive in that parking lot, we want to make sure the experience is one that is inviting and, and comforting in that. Because I'll tell you right now, and this is a big, big complaint that I hear from a lot of women, is that when they come in there, they don't feel um, that, I, I won't go as far as to say that they don't feel welcomed, but they feel like a, um, a square peg trying to go into a round hole. And what I mean by well, that is a lot of times the, it's just not, it's just, Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, what I was going to say is that they, it's just, again, I think it goes to what Bill was talking about, is that line of communication. You know, a lot of women come in, they, um, you know, I'll give you a great example. I had a guest on uh, a few weeks ago on the Women of Golf show, Pat Roquet. Of course, I think you both probably know her from uh, social media and that. But she teaches a lot of women. She's up in the New Jersey area, and she teaches them. She's not a golf professional, but uh, she's a businesswoman, and she helps a lot of women understand what to expect and how they need to act and how they need to uh, interact, if you will, even going to the golf course, how they, you know, what happens when you pull up, uh, where do you, you know, unload your golf bag and, and what's the procedure and that sort of thing. A lot of women don't know that because they haven't been around the game as much as, as men have. So this is again, something that the golf courses, certainly a lot of them are doing that, but there are still some out there that have not uh, sort of smoothened out the rough edges. And, as you pointed out, Chuck, there are a lot of women coming into this game, uh, you know, by droves, but there's an equal number 
that are exiting the game for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because of what we're just talking about. So, um, but uh, please go ahead. You had a thought there as well. Yeah, and, and again, women uh, a lot of times feel intimidated when they come to a golf course. You know, so right. You know, we, um, we try to do these clinics. I mean, we have a pretty active uh, uh, ladies group at uh, Emerald Bay. And, you know, I talk to a lot of them, and they say, well, they come out, you know, to socialize. Uh, very few of them play golf with their with their husbands, but they have their, their ladies group. And they go play golf, they come back, they socialize, they talk. You know, they have a glass of wine or whatever it is, and that's their day, you know. Uh, but very few of them play with their husbands. So right. playing, with, playing with your husband or playing with men uh, is intimidating for a lot of women. So I think the intimidation factor is one of the is one of the large ones, you know, when it comes to women playing golf. We have to make that intimidation right. factor go away. Yeah, I I, I agree. And, and again, I think it's 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 something that uh, you know the industry can help move along. Again, we want you know we want to get some of these young. Uh, girls interested in playing golf and and obviously some that have aspirations of maybe playing competitive golf that's great Uh, maybe some others might uh, have an interest in teaching the game we could certainly use uh, many more great uh, uh, um, you know female teaching professionals out there I mean there's a lot of great ones out there now but uh, I'd like to see those numbers increase as well and even from a business standpoint as as was pointed out earlier there's a lot of women out there who are now entrepreneurs. And as we all know uh, from being around the industry for a long time, uh, golf is, is probably one of the best business tools uh, going out there. Uh, so many great opportunities and so many doors, uh, you know, Bill, that can, that can be opened up. So this is another reason why we, we, we want to make this experience for a lot of women uh, to be uh, comfortable and an enjoyable experience so that they want to stick around. Absolutely. And I think the, the comfort and the welcoming you know, it's something when we get new players and we do our new player programs, we have them before they even bring their clubs and we have them meet us in the, in the golf shop. We'll walk back out, show them where the bag drop is, um, where you come in to pay for range balls and carts, because, you know, nobody wants to go into an uncomfortable situation. Even us, if we get invited someplace and we really don't know what the protocol is, you're on edge a little bit and you really right. feel like you don't want to be there. Sure. I don't care if it's who it is. It's, it's human nature. You know, we want to be welcomed in yes. comfort where we wherever we go, and I think that's something you know we need to look at better overall. Is you know, with I've I've seen clubs where you know I had a, a son that was a very very good junior player at one time, and we wanted we were traveling through the Carolinas and wanted to play. Um, he was 13 years old at the time and was a three handicap. We wanted to play this course in the morning, and they wouldn't allow him to play till two o'clock even though he'd competed in national right. championships and done very well. So, I mean, I think there's, there's something to be said, you know, for that welcoming factor and it, on all levels. And, you know, especially with ladies, because, you know, some of them being new to the game and, you know, feeling like they're being judged on everything. And I think that's the biggest key is we have to lack judgment on them. We're not there to criticize. We're there to help and have them have an enjoyable experience. And that, I think that's the biggest thing we have to emphasize to our staffs and, and, you know, younger professionals as they're coming up through. It's it's about the enjoyment and the experience. It's not about, you know, judging people or judging this or that. So, Right. And, and well, that's well right. Said. We, we, we need to make it more of an experience instead of more of a, uh, on, on the teaching end of it, 
instead of more of a lesson. You know, we're we're trying, yes, it's teaching, but we want to give them a golf experience. And that includes not only how to navigate the golf course and how, and how to uh, uh, strike the ball, you know, the most efficiently for you. um, But, you know, how to navigate the golf course, how to strike the ball and also the protocols, you know, when you're on a golf course, Uh, very Mm -hmm. similar things have happened. I mean, you can look at uh, a number of players. Uh, Lee Trevino, you know, he was he had he yep. didn't have access to a lot of golf courses. They wouldn't let him play just because he was Hispanic, you know. Mm-hmm. So yep. and Charlie Sifford, you know, the guys the guys have yep. to all the barriers. They just courses were closed to them, just like a lot of courses were closed to women. So that's opened up quite a bit now. So at least at least things are starting to change. Yeah, I, I agree, and and you know, again, really the the purpose guys, and and I think you uh, have been around long enough um, on the coaches' corner panel and on the show to understand this. Really, the purpose of of, of this program, and particularly this this segment of the program, um, obviously differs from from what's going to follow, but um, with my my general guest interviews, but really is to have a discussion, not just about how to teach the game. Um, but really how to teach the experience, Chuck, and, and you uh, both have said this before, but really to make it a, a good experience. And, and the lesson T, if you will, or the, the instructional part is just part of the package. It's only one part or one component of the package. It's to sell the experience because we know we've been in this uh, industry long enough and around this game. We know um, that it, it can be a fun and enjoyable game. We get excited about it. We love watching the guys and the gals on TV. Uh, you know, it kind of gets the juices flowing when it's a good, exciting tournament. Um, and, you know, we have our own aspirations. Hey, next, you know, next round I get out there, uh, I'm going to try and, you know, elevate my game a little bit. So we understand the excitement of that. We want to translate that, if you will, to our, our club golfers and to our students out there um, that just want to go out and have a good time. And, and we want to make it fun and interesting. And, uh, again, I think sometimes if we get caught up in the numbers and, and caught up into the hyperbole, if you will, as I mentioned earlier, uh, in, in golf instruction, it becomes a bit of a turnoff. And in this day and age, there is so much competition for people's time. Um, this is one of the things, and this will be a discussion for another time, but this is one of the things that has actually worked against the industry a little bit, and that is people is, comp- is competing for people's time. Uh, you know, I talked to a gentleman today as an example that played competitively throughout Florida and, and other areas of the United States, uh, he doesn't play anymore because he's got uh, kids that compete in other sports and other uh, things. So he's kind of stepped away from the from the game, and, but yet he was an accomplished player. And I said to him, uh, you know, a couple hours before we went live, I said, you know, why don't you get back into the game and just, you know, maybe get your kids involved and stuff like that. And between work and, and kids' activities and things like he just doesn't have the time. But yet he said, I'd love to get out there and, and, and you know, beat that ball around the course again. I just don't have the time. So we've got to find ways of making it an enjoyable experience from the moment they step on uh, foot on property or, or drive through, uh, you know, the parking lot and come through the pro shop. We want to make sure that experience is good and then translate that through our lessons as well. Make it fun, make it engaging and make it enjoyable. And I think, uh, you know, I think we're all on the same page there. It's just a matter of we've got to fine tune sometimes and we've got to change and adapt as the industry and the market changes. And I think we're all 
certainly understand that. But as Bill, as you pointed out many times throughout the night, I think it's a communications thing sometimes we have to be cognizant of. Um, guys, you did a fantastic job as always. Uh, I, uh, I, I, can't, uh, I can't say it enough. Um, I'm going to give you guys just a couple of minutes as we wind down for the coach's corner. Um, Chuck, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, if you want to, to let the folks know how they can reach out or if you've got anything coming up here in the next little while that you want to uh, broadcast, go ahead. Well, we've got uh, you know we've got our junior uh, program starting May second uh, at Emerald Bay in Destin, Florida. Uh, they can reach me through my website, ChuckEvansGolf.com. Um, I'm all over social media, pretty active with that, so you can contact me through that as well. Um, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, I mean, you name it, Instagram. Um, <laughs> but you can contact me any any of those places. Uh, they all have my contact information on there. Happy to talk to anybody who wants to talk about golf. And, you know, come and see us here in Destin. Bring the family because you can go to the beach, you know. Let them go to the beach while you're working on your golf game. <laughs> well, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love it here. And we've got to we got to figure some way of getting Bill, Bill down here. Uh, I know he's down here in the uh, a little further south. Uh, not right now, but um, – but uh, in Florida, so he, he's he's wised up. He comes down here half the year, anyways. Bill, go ahead and let the folks know how they can reach you. Yeah, thanks again, Ted. Um, simply put, my uh, website is billabramsgolf.com. Same as my Facebook page, Twitter account at billabramsgolf. You can reach me also at six three zero nine two six four five five four. You know, at Balmoral Woods in Chicago, we have a lot of uh, exciting programs for all level of players, from adult practice clubs that meet a couple times a week to our USA National Junior program for elite and competitive players. Um, we have a lot of things for all levels of players and uh, and playing events that uh, make it fun for everybody. As my tagline says, I specialize in making players smile, and I think that's the, the biggest thing that we all can do, just sharing this wonderful experience of this game with as many players as we can. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. Well, guys, thank you as always. Uh, I appreciate you giving of your time. And uh, keep, uh, you know, as we sort of unroll the season, uh, you know, we're starting to get into a little bit uh, better weather for, for other parts of the country. Obviously, here in Florida, we've had it pretty good here for, for a little while. But uh, I know it's starting to get better a little bit more in the uh, northeast and in the um, uh, Midwest. So uh, get out there and, and start working on your games. Dust those clubs off and, and go out and see your local uh, professional and, and uh, get them uh, to set you up uh, right for the new season. So, uh, Bill and Chuck, thanks, guys, for doing a fantastic job, and I look forward to having you uh, next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Hey, thanks, thanks Ted. It's good being with it. you again, Chuck. Thanks, everybody. You too, Bill. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. All right, guys. Have a great evening. All right, Ted. See ya. All right, that was my uh, very special, uh, special guest, excuse me, on the uh, Coach's Corner panel, uh, Bill Abrams and uh, Chuck Evans. And again, I send uh, Jamie sends her apologies. Uh, Jamie Leno Zimron, of course, uh, was supposed to be on with the uh, uh, guys tonight, but unfortunately, she had to uh, to cancel out and sends her apologies and assures me she will be on uh, next time for sure. But, uh, anyways. Uh, thanks, guys, again for doing a fantastic job. Let me just remind everybody uh, before we move on the show that uh, we are live every Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, here on blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, best way to find us is, of course, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just simply type in uh, golf talk live up in the search key and that will take you to the main page. And 
every uh, Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 for those of you on the East Coast. And for those of you out West in California, uh, it's 4 to 6 uh, the show airs. And uh, every uh, first hour of the show, of course, is uh, Coach's Corner. I have a great uh, group of uh, golf professionals on, and we talk about a lot of different different uh, subjects uh, throughout the hour. And uh, so you want to make sure you t- uh, stick, uh, stay tuned excuse me, for that. Uh, also, if you want to listen on some of the other social media platforms, you can go to iTunes.com. Stitcher.com and this year TuneIn.com and again just type in Golf Talk Live and that will take you to uh, the respective pages under those social media platforms. So lots of great ways to uh, to listen to the show and uh, I, I look forward and, and enjoy doing them each and every uh, week. So uh, again, if you can't join us live, just visit any of those social media platforms and just uh, listen when it's convenient for you. All of the shows, of course, even though they're live Thursdays, are auto recorded. So you can listen to them at later when it's convenient for you to tune in. So, uh, but thanks again for those that are tuning in live tonight. Uh, I've got a, a, another gentleman that's been on the show before, uh, truly one of the great professionals uh, in this industry. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. His name is Tom Patry, and uh, he's the founder and owner of TP Golf Services. And uh, he's one of uh, Golf Magazine's top 100 teachers in America and has been uh, truly a leading voice in golf instruction for over 30 years now. Uh, he's taught at every level of the game, coaching more than 100 PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, and PGA Club professionals, as well as hundreds of top uh, juniors and amateur golfers alike. Uh, the game has taken uh, Tom himself around the world, first as a distinguished player and now as one of golf's most knowledgeable and decorated teachers. Uh, in 1990, he became director of instruction at the prestigious uh, Westchester Country Club in Rye, New York, uh, where he worked for 11 years at the uh, home of the famed PGA Tour stop, the Westchester Classic. Uh, but now resides in Naples, Florida, uh, with his wife, Denise, and son, Palmer Jackson. And as I mentioned, he's the founder and owner of TP Golf Services. Uh, So a lot of great uh, accolades, uh, many, many more, uh, just too many to list. Uh, Otherwise, I'll use up most of the hour. But let me bring on my very special guest, Tom Patrick. Good Good evening, Tom. How are you? Teddy, I'm just doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for for coming on the show again. I appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to our discussion tonight. Teddy, it's always a pleasure to be on with you. I I listened to part of your earlier show, and and you do just a great job. It's nice to be with you. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you uh, for the kind words. Um, You know, Tom, you've been around this game for a long, long time. You've seen a lot of the highs and the lows, and you've seen a lot of changes happen uh, in the golf industry uh, particularly on, on our side of the fence. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about that, but what I also want to talk about first, I'm going to give you an opportunity first to uh, talk about a book that you had put together uh, a few years back uh, called The Six-Spoke Approach uh, to Golf. And I know we've talked about that a little bit before, but maybe just do a, a broad stroke across the book itself, what was involved in the book, and, and how it sort of came about. Teddy, the six-spoke was... Uh takes me back to my Westchester days and basically it, it it was a journey I went on realizing that I was missing some pieces and, and that although instruction is very important, um, things like your mental attitude, your body, the condition of your body, the way you use your time, your mm-hmm. time management, your, your equipment being fit properly, uh, statistically understanding your faults, your strengths and weaknesses, all of those things go into making a synergy that allows you develop a plan. It's not really a how-to book as much as it's a how-to practice and plan your yearbook, um, trying to get a game right. plan together that makes sense between you and your coach. Uh, the book was a culmination of about five years of writing, 
I, I got to about 200 pages into it, and I actually ripped it up and started all over again because I thought what I wrote was terrible. <laughs> um, my, my ghostwriter didn't like that too much. But uh, it, it came out a while back. It's, it's gone through three printings now. It's been uh, it's been pretty successful. It's kind of like a uh, – it's almost become kind of like a cult book. Uh, that was not my intention. Right. It has. Uh, and it's still in print. It's available on Amazon and Kindle. Um, and it's just really a culmination of uh, 37 years of teaching and experiences and uh, ideas about what people do and don't do well in developing a game plan. Yeah, well said. Um, you know, earlier in the in a segment um, preceding you, you know, I talked about one of the things, you know, as you just pointed out, you know, you've been doing this for, for 37 plus years now. So you've been around the, the, the game for quite a while and you've seen a lot of things happen. And as I was mentioning in the earlier segment, you know, we're seeing a lot of the young instructors coming out that are just really kind of focusing on the numbers and not really, I don't think, listening to what the, what the students are saying. As you've transitioned from, you know, 30-something years ago from a, a new uh, teaching instructor, if you will, to where you are now, what have you learned that's helped you to become a better teacher today than you were 37 years ago? You know, you know Ted, I've always tried to stay very open to new things and, and change, and, and I have nothing against um, the the wonderful technology of today, whether it be TrackMan or KVest or V1 Video or what, whatever technology you blast, whatever you're using. But I, I think that too right. many of the young kids today are going straight to the numbers and not paying attention to yep. what, the, what the student goes through, playing the game, hitting shots, hitting specialty shots, hitting partial wedges, becoming a better bunker player, um, managing the golf course better, um, there's so many things that go into this game, and, and surely the numbers are revealing. TrackMan has done a wonderful job at opening our eyes to certain sure. things. Um, but uh, you have to get out from behind the video screen and stop hiding behind the numbers and still learn how to play the game on the golf course. Right. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Well said. You know, Tom, I remember the first time you were on the show, uh, I think it was nearly six years ago, Um we, we had this discussion about technology, and I, and I think we sort of collectively uh, chuckled over this. But, you know, we said that technology, as you just pointed out, was great, and, and it's nice to have. But what happens when the power goes out or the batteries die? <laughs> then what do you do? And we kind of chuckled about that. And, and that's true, though. I mean, I, I know that you use technology in, in some respects. I know that you uh, uh, are very accomplished with the, the V1 uh, program. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but you use it in, in its uh, appropriate um, moments. In other words, you're not just shooting a bunch of video for the sake of it. You're using it for a specific purpose to help you better understand your students. So put that in perspective and, and, and just share what it is you're looking for when, when you're hooking somebody up through V1. You know, Ted, I, 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 you know, video, video can, be, uh, can be very telling. Video can be very um, uh, misleading too if it's used the wrong way. I, I use V I, I use V1. I've used V1 for 20, I think 27 or 28 years now. I was one of their first customers, um, and I, I still use it today. And I use it sparingly. I use it sometimes to settle an argument. Uh, I send it sometimes right. a dispute that the <laughs> student doesn't realize what they're doing, and they, I say something to them and they dispute it. And I take some video and go, well, there it is, right there. Let's, you know, you can argue with me, but you can't argue right. with the picture. Um, 
I, I usually use it in a frame-by-frame -frame setting where I don't play the whole video at times. And I'm working on something specific with the student. I frame it up to a particular frame and say, this is kind of where we're going wrong, wrong in the crossroads. This is what we have to improve. I'm very careful with how much I use video. Uh, I, I, think, I think we've overused it in the past. I think it can be a great tool. I also think it can be very, very dangerous. I think you have to be very careful with video. And you have to be careful with TrackMan or anything else. I think you do it in, in small sure. doses. I don't know how much the average student can really digest and use in an hour or two-hour setting. I think you have to be very careful with that, Ted. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. And, and you know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, as I said in the, in the uh, preceding segment, you know, video is certainly great, uh, certainly can help the instructor uh, identify uh, some key issues and, and point them out, as, as you just uh, mentioned a moment ago. Um, but, again, I think we have to be careful because, as we know, Students learn in different ways. Not everybody, I mean, people might think, well, I can show something visually to uh, player A and player B and player C, and they're all going to get it. But some people, even with video, have difficulty digesting certain uh, information. So, uh, again, you're right. It has to be used sparingly. It's a great tool. I, I don't, and again, with all the other ones that you mentioned, uh, they're certainly great, but they have to be put, put in perspective. And as, uh, as I said a few minutes ago, we, we chuckled about this about six years ago. Um, you know, power goes out, batteries die. Uh, we have to be able to rely on our, our talents and our skills to be able to back up what we're talking about and not just a piece of uh, machinery or technology. So um, something to, to certainly give uh, pause, if you will, for a lot of the young instructors just getting into the game. Uh, don't rely so heavily uh, on your technology because we've got a guy here on tonight on the show who's been in it for 37 years and it's still going strong, and it's not because of the technology. It's because of the skills that he's developed over the years. So food for thought, guys. Um, Tom, you're, you're now uh, full-time down in Naples. Uh, I know you were up uh, north uh, for part of the season. You're down there in Naples. Uh, you're obviously getting ready for another new and exciting season. So what, what's, uh, what's cooking? There's so much going on. It's been crazy. I, 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 I think I take take homage in, in the fact that you, I'm not sure if you're paying a compliment or a criticism to me. You keep on bringing up 30. Are you, are you under the impression I'm very old, Ted? No. <laughs> no, I'm giving you, I'm giving you credit where credit is due. I'm giving you credit, my friend, where credit is due. Um, no, so, you, you know, you've been, you've been around the game. No, I'll get I'll kidding aside. Go ahead. I'm, I'm getting ready to, uh, you know, Teddy, I'm thinking about this. I, I'm, I'm very introspective these days. I'm getting ready to turn 60 this year. And for anybody who doesn't realize it, that's 12 under par. So I'm still in good shape. Um, I'm getting ready to head north for the. I'm getting ready to head north for the 38th time this year, uh, for the summer. And it is very exciting. I've got a bunch of new stuff going on. I'm back at my site on Long Island, uh, one week a month in a place called Colonial Springs, which is not too far from the famous Beth Page Black. Um, so I'll be there one week a month, okay. and a lot of my students come in and visit me there, and they take a couple of lessons, and then they go play the black, and they have a lot of fun doing that. And then I'm spending uh, seven two-day periods at Saratoga National in Saratoga, New York, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um, venue. Uh, there are these seven two-day schools up there uh, throughout the season. I'm also going to spend week, uh, a week a month at the Black Horse Golf Range, in Whitehall, Maryland. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. It's a new place for me to get some of my mid-Atlantic students. And then I'm doing a new program called uh, The Doctor is In, where anybody in the country 
can give me a ring and book me for two-day minimums for me to come to them and make a house call. I did this about 20 years ago. I was very successful, and I got away from it. But anybody anywhere on the planet can call me and say, Tom, would you come to me for two days? And as long as they have the permission, and I get an email permission from their host professional, uh, I I come to them. So it's kind of a fun, diverse summer with a lot of different things going on. Uh, It should be exciting. It's going to put me in a car seat and in a – a plane seat quite a bit, so uh, it'll test my skills of traveling a little bit this year, but it should be an exciting summer, Teddy. Well, I'll tell you what, you're going to be, you're not only going to be racking up frequent flyer miles, but uh, uh, you're going to be putting some, uh, wearing some tread on those tires a little bit too, by the sounds of things, but no, I think that's fantastic. And you know what, you know, as I alluded to uh, again earlier in the show, um, you know, we have to be uh, diversified in this industry because we're competing not just uh, amongst ourselves uh, anymore. We're competing uh, in the general public against so many other, um, you know, things for, for time. I mean, people, people's time is, is more restricted now than it was 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, we've got to find new ways of sort of reinventing ourselves as golf professionals. It's not just, you know, here's the, here's the, the clubhouse or the pro shop. Let's open the doors and everybody come anymore we've got to find ways of reaching out within the communities and even cross communities getting outside of, of our um, immediate area in order to work with people if necessary. So I think that's fantastic. And, and I applaud you for, uh, for sort of reinventing that, uh, that part of your, uh, for your uh, business model. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's fun, Ted, you know, and I've, I've, I've already booked a couple of those. A couple of people have reached out. There's a, a gentleman I'm going to spend a couple of days with in Rhode Island. There's another I'm going to spend up some time in Montana with. Um, uh, I've got a couple of inquiries about somebody in the Carolinas and somebody out in Texas. So it, it should be really interesting. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. And these are all people who have found me through my social media platforms and, and some of my blasts and some of my newsletters. Um, so I'll meet some new people. Right. I'll go to some new places that I haven't been. I haven't been to Montana before, so it should be interesting. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. Uh, you know, I, I think we have to realize that, too, we all have a limited number of days and time and years on this planet. And uh, not yep. that I'm visiting my, my mortality every day at 60, but, you know, I, I, right. I know the clock's ticking. I'm, I'm, heading, into the, I'm heading into the back sure. nine, and I want, to, I want to get as many holes in as yep. I can, you know. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly, and, and I think that's a fantastic way to do it. And, and you know what, Tom, really the truth of the matter is, you know, you have to make what you do fun. And as long as it's fun and you're enjoying it uh, and you're passing that knowledge and that experience off at the same time, uh, you know, then, then it's really sort of a twofer. You're, you're enjoying it, you're having a good time, and you're making somebody else's experience uh, fun and enjoyable as well. So, I mean, it, it's a win-win situation. Um, I, I want to talk about the modern game a little bit, if we can, um, you know, I, I've got a, a couple things I want to mention to you. I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, in the modern sure. game, game now, you know, distance has become a, a big thing. Everybody's wanting more distance, and everybody's hitting it farther. Is, it, is there too much distance in the modern game and not enough shot making? Because it's basically driver and wedge or maybe a nine iron for a lot of these guys on tour now. And, and it poses the question, do we even need 14 clubs in the bag anymore? And, and if so... Why or why not? And, and what are your thoughts there? Is it distance becoming too much of an issue? Is what Jack Nicholas has said it over the time, we need to dial it back. What do you think? Well, you know, 
Teddy, I, I go back. I, truthfully, that's a, that's a great, great question and, and an appropriate question in this day and age. But I go back and forth. A couple years ago, not so long ago, they played a U.S. Open at a place called Marion in Ad- Ardmore, Pennsylvania, and it's a, it's a relatively short by modern standard golf course. And if you remember, the winning score was not very low there at all. In fact, it was one of the no. higher scoring opens in the last 15 years. And then, and then two years later, they went out to Chambers Bay. Uh, I'm sorry, to Aaron Hills. And the golf course was 7,450 yards long, and 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 they they kind of ripped it apart. So I think when you look at that scenario, there's different ways to defend par. I think one of the one of the problems with today's game in terms of professional golf uh, in the distance situation is I don't think they set up golf courses to defend the golf course properly. I think they try to do it with length, and there's other ways to defend the golf course. That said, on the other side right. of the argument. It's, it's, it's incredible how far these kids are hitting it today. But it's funny, Teddy, you yeah. go back to shot making, and none of my juniors that come to me raw as new, as new students, they hit it a mile, but they can't hit a knockdown wedge. They can't flight an 8-iron. They can't take something off the 7-iron. They can't, they can't slide the 5-iron in there around the bunker. They can't, they can't hit those creative shots. So yeah. you know, I, I, still think, I still think shot making is, is a valuable tool today and the ability to use it. Uh, there's a player on tour, and I won't mention his name because I, I, I respect his abilities, but he'd be the worst wedge player in the history of the modern game of golf and hits it nine miles in the middle of the fairway, and he's got a beautiful golf swing, but he hits every wedge straight up right. in the air at full. And it's amazing to me, and he makes, yep. he makes a fair living out there. But you watch him play day in and day out, it's amazing to me how many shots this great talent can hit and why somebody hasn't grabbed him and shook him and said, Son, listen to me. Learn how to hit this shot, and you're yeah. gonna make, you know, X number of dollars more yeah. and, win, and win 20 more tournaments. Um, so I kind of go back and forth in that, Ted. I'm, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite at times. Um, I, I get your argument on one side, but I also get it on the other side. So I'm not really yeah. sure how I stand on that question. To be honest, quite honest with you. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I and I think you 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 defended that that point very well. You're exactly right. I mean, I think that, um, you know, simply lengthening the golf course is not going to be the answer, and or dialing uh you know back the equipment uh, and or golf ball is not necessarily the answer either. Um, I think you're right. I think they have to defend the golf course. There's way there's a, a myriad of ways of doing that, and and that's a great point too that you pointed out. Uh, you know, two different golf courses at opposite ends. Uh, but having different uh, different results, um, which were surprising in, in many cases. But um, you're, you're exactly right in, in, in your uh, defense of that. I, I guess what I'm looking at is, to me, from a playing standpoint, you know, I look at some of the guys um, that I watched growing up, the Trevinos, the you know, Chichi Rodriguez, of course, Nicholas and Palmer and all them, and I look at the, the creativity that was – you know, and thought process that was put through every shot that they hit. Uh, and that's not to say that the players today are not thinking, but, you know, how much enjoyment is there in hitting a driver and wedge, essentially, and I know that's a little bit uh, paraphrased, but, you know, virtually every single hole. Uh, to me, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's probably a half a dozen or so clubs in, in most of the pros' bags that don't have much wear in the grooves because they're not using it. Uh, you know, that much. So that's, I guess, my argument is, do we need to change the game a little bit to make it a little bit more uh, interesting? That's a fair point, Teddy. And I, 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 I concur with you on so much of that. I, I don't know there's, there's one answer to that question. 
Let me ask you a question. Right. How about putting the how about sure. putting the modern equipment today and the modern golf ball in the hands of George Newton? How would that be? Yeah. I mean, how would yeah, George Newton true. do today's ball today? Or what would he be able to do to a golf course with his with his ball striking abilities with today's equipment and today's ball? How would that be? Or Trevino in his prime. Yeah. You know, or or, or yep. Gene Littler in his prime, or Julius Boros in his prime. I mean, I, I think I think we have to, one of the things that we get a little cynical about at age sixty sometimes is some of us, and I like I, I, I'm criticizing myself as well here. Some of us don't embrace change yep. very well. Um, and sure. Let's face it, you you can't compare Joe's to Muhammad Ali. You can't compare Johnny Unitas right. to Joe Montana. It's it, it just changed, and the game has changed. It's evolved. It's a power game now. It's not a finesse game anymore. Can we do things to bring some of the mm. finesse back? We sure we can, but it's it's not 1960 anymore. It just is not, and right. it, it's a different game <laughs> being, being played by different players. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, well said. And, and I think, too, um, the people watching this new generation of player out there has a different perspective. They don't really care about seeing, you know, a low sweeping hook that, you know, maybe Chichi Rodriguez hit, uh, you know, 30 years ago and, and, you know, danced on the green or some of the, the, you know, the low firing seven irons that uh, Trevino used to hit coming into those greens that would, you know, hit once and, you know, check, uh, you know, check up. So, you know, they're wanting to see these guys bomb at 340 yards or, or, you know, what have you. So, that's you're right. The, the game has changed, and I agree with you. I'm kind of a little bit on the fence. Uh, you know, at times uh, I'd like to see a little bit more action in some ways, but I also understand it, it is a changing and evolving world, and and uh, we have to sort of sometimes step aside and and let the next generation decide how they want that game to be played. And uh, you know, the market will dictate where uh, where the game goes, and obviously this is where it's been going. So uh, I agree wholeheartedly with you on that, Tom. Um, Speaking of different areas of the game, I want to talk about one that really, I think, bears a lot of attention, in my opinion, anyways. Uh, certainly the fastest growing, I think, area in golf is young girls to the game. Um, my question to you is, how do we get more of them interested? How do we keep them interested? And maybe how do we move some of them uh, and create an environment that would want them not just to necessarily play competitively, but maybe get into the teaching side uh, and get more great LPGA professionals out there. Um, how, how do we get them interested, keep them interested, in, and maybe get them involved in the golf industry in whatever capacity they choose to? How do we how do we do that? Well, Teddy, that's a great question. It's funny you asked me that question because I just I just got a phone call two weeks ago from Deb Ben Angelo, who's the president of the LPGA Teaching and Club Professional Division, yep. and I've been asked to be there one of their keynote speakers at their uh, Southeastern Regional Teaching Summit in Savannah, Georgia, in September. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm honored by that request, and I accept it, and I'm looking forward to that. And, and you know, Deb and I met here in Naples back in uh, November, and we talked a little bit about why we don't have more young girls at the game, and, and, and the LPGA is certainly very, very concerned about that. I think, I think anybody who cares about golf is concerned about that. I've got a young girl here in Naples now who's eight years old who absolutely is going to be a, and how do, how do we know this? You know, we could change tomorrow, but she's got all the tools to be a superstar someday. I'm really excited about her. Um, so I, I, yeah. I reach out for some good, I, I reach out for girls that age and try to try to attract them to the game. But I think 
I think it's our own fault. I think we've created a very, 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 very male-based environment, um, and it's very intimidating to a young girl, uh, the environment we've created. We don't have a female-friendly environment at a lot of golf clubs. Uh, we don't have a lot of junior access at a lot of golf clubs, not just girls. Uh, there, there are too many clubs that uh, – Right. I, I am, I'm very critical of this, are very, very selfish with their access to junior golfers. Um, and, and shame on them because they don't understand that's the future yeah. of the game and they don't care about anybody but themselves. So I'm very, very bullish on on clubs that don't have junior programs, that don't have junior access times a day, that don't have junior hours on the range, that don't have junior development programs. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not fond of that scenario. I, you know, it's funny, when I came to Naples, Florida, I was very excited to come to Florida full-time because I had this perception that I was going to be inundated with juniors. I had, you know, to tell the truth is, I had far more juniors and far more talented juniors when I taught in New York full time than I've ever had in Naples, Florida. And the reason for that is, Naples, Florida, is a short season, high profile private yeah. club type type environment, and they do not embrace the junior golfer. And you know what? Shame on Naples, Florida, for that. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm really not going to be very popular with that comment, but. That's and the, and the right. South Florida PGA, the South Florida PGA does a tremendous job, a tremendous job in trying to get more access to juniors, and oftentimes they're banging their head against the wall for access. So, good question, great question, and and I hope people are list, people are listening out there. Open your doors to junior golfers. Open your doors and make young girls comfortable at your facility. Reach out to these people and make them welcome. Yeah, and, and you know, Tom, I think one of the other things, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, one of the other things that we talked about the very first time you came on uh, was, I believe, the first tee uh, in in Naples at that time. One of the issues they were having was accessibility. Um, now, this was, I know, a few years back, but uh, and things and things may have changed, but that was a, an issue. I think I remember you bringing to the table as well that you know they had a, a you know a pretty healthy. Uh, group of youngsters that wanted to get out there play, but uh, again, because of the the demographic and the nature of the the area Naples, that uh, it just was not uh, you know because typically it's a private uh, uh, club members you know only type uh, situation there, and uh, you know they're not as you said embracing a lot of the junior programs, so that makes it you know very um, difficult to to get your foot in the door there. I, but I also think too. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, I also wonder too, and, and you're exactly right. The south, uh, south section of the PGA, and, and you know many others throughout the United States are doing a great job in promoting it. But one of the things that I get concerned about, and and I want to get your thoughts on this, is much of the money in promoting and advertising golf is at the professional level, and particularly towards the tours and and that sort of uh, focus. And I wonder if the general perspective within the population is that it is a high-caliber sport and it's not for me. In other words, you know, I'm never going to play on the, the PGA or LPGA or whatever tour, so it's not something. Do we need to think about changing the perception that the general public has of golf? And if so, how do we go about doing that? No, I, th- I think the PGA, the PGA of America, not the PGA of Sport, PGA of America is doing a wonderful job right. with team golf, has done, has done numerous programs to try to attract junior golfers. 
I, I think that getting the message out is very expensive at times. It, it, it's very, very cost, you know, prohibitive. Um, sure. I don't think the, P, the PGA, I, I think the PGA Tour and the PGA of America and the LPGA should work with more synergy. I think they're sometimes fighting each other for, uh, for accolades and forget accolades. Who cares about accolades? Let's talk about kids and, and make right. them more accessible. I think golf and school programs has to change in the U.S. I certainly, I think you probably feel the same way in Canada. I think if they yes. uh, get golf yep. into schools more, uh, but I'll give you another, I'll give you another example, Ted, which was mind boggling to me. A couple of years ago in Naples, I reached out to the chancellor, if you will, of high school athletics in Southwest Florida. He, he encompassed two or three mm-hmm. different counties. And I said, I will do a free day, a free, a free 10 hour day to any male or female yep. high school golf coach who wants to come and spend a day with me about how to develop a junior player. I will give a, a full day of my time. If one person comes or 100 people come, I will make myself available for a full day clinic about how I would teach um, golf in schools. How would I how would I how would I make high school players better on the male or female side? I'll spend the whole day open to anybody who wants to come free of charge. Do you know how many people came? Mm-mm. Zip. Zero. <laughs> Zero. Zero. Free. Yeah. Free. Yeah. Yeah. Zero. Zero high school coaches showed up. You know what? Because they, because they're not high school coaches. They're high school chaperones, and we right. have to change that culture as well. So we have to go all the way, I think, to the grassroots into schools with PGA and LPGA professionals. I think the first tee is wonderful. I think we're missing the boat. Let's take first tee. Let's take PGA Junior Golf into every high school every middle school and every elementary school in this country and do a program where we donate time and get the kids in, 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 in the school system early. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think there's, there's another aspect of this as well. And I, I again, agree wholeheartedly with, with everything you just said. Um, I, I guess one, there's two things really I want to mention. One of the things I'm talking about is there's a lot of, um, potential advertising dollars that are going to um, one area, if you will, of golf, which is great. We certainly, I know it's, as you said, it's very expensive. But again, I think the mainstream media, if you will, the perception that golf has is we're hearing about the tours, we're hearing about the tour players, um, and there's not much accessibility other than at collegiate and maybe some high school. Uh, for golf, for instance, you know, you go to most schools in, in America or even in Canada, you've got football programs, you've got baseball, you've got all kinds of after-school programs, but there's very few golf. And for a couple of reasons, golf can be, at times, uh, can be challenging because of the cost. But I think what the industry needs to do, what you said, is I think we need to get into uh, into the school system at a very early age and it needs to become a national-type program. In other words, we need to be competing with all of these other sports, uh, like football and baseball and soccer and swimming and all these other things, have to be on the same footing. And this is where the industry as a whole, not just the teach professionals and the coaches like yourselves, but the PGA, the LPGA, and the, and the tours, have to start pulling their resources together and saying, if we want to continue to grow this game at the junior level and get new golfers coming in, we've got to start hitting it, as you said, at the grassroots. And there are a lot of programs, but they're all kind of firing independently um, of one another, and there's not a collective force, if you will, driving that agenda. And, and I agree with you on that. What, what are your thoughts there? 
No, I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, you look at the USGA, the PGA, the PGA Tour, the LPGA, First Tee, you know, the AJGA, which is way too, way too entitled, if you ask me. But, I mean, that's a whole different can of worms. Why don't these right. people sit down at the table together and say, let's work to get collectively and let's go into school systems at, at the first grade, second grade, third grade level, and let's expose kids to golf. Let's provide equipment. Let's get U.S. kids right. involved. Let's get Pink, Titleist, Cobra, you know, uh, Callaway involved at yep. an early age and provide some beginner equipment to gym teachers to introduce golf. Let's train gym teachers to teach golf at a, at a, very, at a very elementary level. But let's, let's expose kids to sure. possibilities. I mean, we are missing. Yep. Listen, Sweden has a better junior golf program than the U.S. Sweden. Yep. How big is You're Sweden? Right. Is, it the, is, it, yep. is it the size of Rhode Island? I don't even know. It, it's not very big, though. It's not bigger than Massachusetts, no. probably. Okay? It has a better junior golf program than the U.S. collectively in terms of recruiting talented young people to the game at an early age. We are missing the boat here. We, are, we, we have lost control of the steering wheel. Yeah. Well, and, and you raise an interesting point, uh, uh, you know, something that they were talking about here just within the last uh, couple of days on the Golf Channel. You know, they were talking about, obviously, particularly on the, uh, the women's tour, about the, the influx over the last decade or so of Asian players uh, from all different, whether it be uh, Korea or, or uh, you know, China, what have you, compared to, yeah, compared to U.S. players. It's a joke. It's a joke. When, when, yeah. Tell me when. Tell me when you've looked at an LPGA leaderboard, and in the top ten, seen more foreign, seen more American names than foreign names. When was the last time that happened? That, yeah, several happen. years. You several see, years. You see. Yeah. You see seven seven Asian names, a Spanish name, and an American name. You see eight Asian names, yeah. an American name, and an English name. You you don't see. You don't see five or six or seven American or Canadian girls. You don't see that. It doesn't happen. No. Ever. No. Ever. It doesn't happen. Right. Ever again. You, it doesn't Right. I don't know. When, when, tell me when the last time you saw an LPGA leaderboard with the top ten players and six out of ten players were American or Canadian. Tell me what, what year yeah. that was. It's, it's been a long – yeah, I, I don't even remember. It's been, it's been that long. Really? <laughs> You're it's exactly been right. It's been, yeah, it's, it's been 15 years. When was the last yeah. time you saw it? Ready? Beth Daniel, Meg Mallon, uh, Julie Inkster, and, and Patty Sheehan on the top of the leaderboard. It yeah. doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. No. No. And and you know what? I mean, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. Uh, you know, Tom, that we have uh, a, a global. Uh, expansion of this sport but what's happening here in the united states is you, what you said earlier you're exactly right with a lot of our junior golf here's one of the criticisms that i have with junior golf i think it's great to, to expose uh the kids but one of the problems that i see and and i might be off in left field here is i look at a lot of the junior programs out there as uh sort of an introductory or feeder into competitive only golf and the problem is not everybody wants to, to compete necessarily, um, you know, on, on a, a tour or, or even, uh, you know, competitive even at a junior level. They just want to go out and play the game. So when they think of this junior golf, 
they don't see it as something for them. They say, well, look, I'm not, you know, I'm never going to be a, a, you know, a competitive player. I just want to go out and hit the ball around. So uh, going back to your earlier point of that grassroots, I think that we have to make golf. That doesn't mean that we don't necessarily want those that want to be competitive, but it's got to be a sport um, much like how, you know, for instance, if I want to go out and play tennis, I can go and buy a $10 tennis racket and a sleeve of balls and I can hit them against the side of a school uh, you know, wall in the back and, and have some fun with it. I don't have to get on a tennis court. You can't do that with golf um, as easily. So, you know, there has to be some thought and process going into this and getting it into a, a, a venue, but also into a mindset of it's not just all about com- uh, competition on the golf course. So, so Teddy, have you, let me ask you a question. I got, I got a great one for you. Have you been to a top golf? Mm-hmm. Have you been to one? Uh, you know what? I have not. No, I have not yet. Okay, so, so about uh, I'm, try, I'm trying to think. Now. I want to be accurate. About two months ago, I was invited to play in Lenny Matisse. You know, I, I'm sure you know that name. Len Matisse's uh, yes. Pro Junior Tournament at, T, at TPC Sawgrass. Len's an old friend of mine. He was a past right. student of mine. He's right. a wonderful tour player. Uh, you know, was one up in the Masters mm-hmm. to, to uh, Mike Weir. And uh, so I went up. I took one of yep. my juniors up to play in his his Junior Foundation Tournament at TPC. And the night before the pro junior, he had a welcome party for all the juniors at a Top Golf in Jacksonville. I had never been to one, so he had a he had had a uh, he had 15 bays reserved for the juniors, and I didn't realize that every one of these Top Golfs has 226 bays. Okay, they have a sports bar, they have a pro shop, they have this, they have that, they have the next thing, they have bells and whistles and music, and it's it has nothing to do with golf. It is pure entertainment recreation but but right the the hook is we're going to hit a golf ball into a giant pinball machine with lights going and sirens and whistles and and it's fun and it's hooking people into golf and entirely now it's not my cup of tea but it was exciting to see who showed up at this venue in flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt to try to hit a golf ball through the clown's mouth, 250 yards away. It's really interesting, really interesting. Right. And I could see a percentage yeah, they, of those people, yeah. a percentage, being hooked on the game right. in a different way, coming to the game through a different window, but being exposed to the game in a different manner. Great. No problem. Let's do it. It was exciting. How about this? How about this? You ready for this, Teddy? At that top golf that night, yep. if, you wanted a, if you wanted to hit balls in one of those bays – there was a three-hour wait. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's incredible. I, incredible. I was, yeah, I was, I was at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas uh, last year, and of course they got a Top Golf there. End up going in, but uh, it backs on to um, the entrance to it backs on to their pool at the MGM, their main pool, and uh, I could hear, you know, the noise and that coming out from the top golf because uh, it was obviously full. And I mean, it was lines like you wouldn't believe going in there. And in fact, so yeah. much so that the pool was pretty much, you know, pretty much empty compared to what was going on in the middle of a, you know, hot sunny day. So obviously it's a very successful business model, but you're exactly right. You know, the, the game is changing in so many different ways. And if we can get people um, through top golf or through some other uh, product that's out there, interested in the game there is as you said there's going to be a percentage of people that are going to say you know what i wonder what it's really like to get out there in the golf course i'm going to go and check it out um and, and even if they don't 
in some way that at least they're, they're learning or understanding a little bit of the game in a fun way. And that's really what most young kids want. They want it just as we were growing up. We wanted to do things that were fun and, and interesting and exciting. Um, we didn't necessarily always want to do what our parents did. So, um, but at some point as we mature in age, we start to change our interests. And if they've never been exposed or, or on any level to this game at all, 20, 30 years down the road, it's very unlikely that they're going to be drawn to the game uh, just because you're, you're offering a discount at, at you know, a golf course A for, for uh, you know, lessons. They're not going to do it because they've never been exposed to it. So somehow, some way, as I said, and, and you've mentioned here throughout the program tonight, we've got to find a way of hitting that grassroots and getting golf into people's minds, thinking about it in whatever capacity so that they're going to want oh, to take an interest oh, as as they continue on, right? Not earlier, much, much earlier. We got to get, we got to get to the kid at the crossroads where he's going: golf, baseball, tennis, football, basketball. Golf, golf's got to be in that conversation as a possibility. And if it's not in the conversation early at school, it's not. We got to right. get to them early right. and at, 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 at. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Um, some great uh, great thoughts and great points there, Tom. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about something else, and, and I was uh, here recently. I was navigating on your website, and I came across something that I found very, very interesting, uh, and that is, Uh-oh. of course, the uh, TP Golf Tour. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> no, it's actually very interesting. Uh, TP Golf Tours. Uh, you offer uh, golfers access to some great events like the Masters, uh, the Open, uh, you know, golfing in Scotland experience or Ireland, and also the Ryder Cup. Tell us a little bit about more about that, uh, what's involved, and, and what's included in, in some of the offers you have. Well, Teddy, I just, I just saw so many people going to so many different places, and they weren't taking me, and I wanted to go too. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I, I just thought <laughs> there was a possibility that maybe I could do it a little bit better. Maybe I could provide a little bit different experience. Instead of going to Scotland for the first time kind of blind, what if you went with your own coach? And what if you went with your own teacher and you spent five days playing some of the great golf courses of Scotland with, with your coach? Or if you went to the Masters for yeah. the first time and instead of walking around Augusta blind, you went with somebody who'd been there 15 times and they could tell you a few stories yeah. about the history of the club and the history of the event to put a little different twist on it. So I sat down with a couple of different companies that do these, these tours and said, listen, I want to package this, this thing a little bit differently and provide a little bit different experience for people. Um, and, and that's what's happened. As a side note, Teddy, just a little side note, I, I just got some a great, mm-hmm. another great, uh, great thing happened to me. Uh, Jack Druga, who's the head professional at Shinnecock Hills, where you know the U.S. Open is going to be played this year, who's an old, long-time yep. college friend of mine, we played, we played against each other in college, has asked me to come up the week of the Open and be one of the people to help run the practice facility for the week at Shinnecock Hills. So that's that's on my plate this summer too. I'm going to spend the week of. Uh, Oh wow! Uh, the U.S. Open at, Shin- at Shinnecock on the range, helping run the facility for the week. Uh, so I'm very excited about that. But these trips all came out of experiences I had. I've been fortunate to be go to a, to a President's Cup, to a to a to a British Open on several occasions, to a U.S. Open, uh, to Scotland and, and different venues. And I said, why, why can't I just share those experiences with my own students? So I put these packages together. Yeah, and what a great idea! And, and you, you know, you 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 bring up a very interesting point. Um, you know, for somebody that's never had that experience, and I'm just going to use the Masters as an example. 
Um, you know, obviously, you know, we, we got to be honest that, you know, the Masters is, is um, you know, certainly one of the big tickets uh, every year. And a lot of people, you know, we watch it on TV and, and uh, there's a lot of folks say, you know, boy, I wouldn't mind going there, but I don't know, you know, what to do or where to see or, or how to experience the Masters. And I think what a great a concept that you put together to be able to offer uh, an opportunity to go to an event like the Masters and say, hey, we're not just going to come and watch the golf tournament. We're going to have a, a much different experience. And here's some of the things that we're going to do while we're here, uh, enjoying, yeah, exactly. um, you know, one of the most pre- yeah, prestigious events, uh, you know, in the world. I mean, you know, the Masters is not just a top golf tournament. It is literally one of the pre- most prestigious events, sporting events in the history, period. Um, you know, and it, it ranks up there. Right, exactly. So, you know, what a great opportunity. And, I like the fact that you're going along, you're basing your experience, not just, you know, tagging along, but you're helping them to understand what you've experienced through some of these events and some of these uh, locations over the years as well. And why they want to have that experience and, and add it to their, um, you know, life journey as well. And I think that's fantastic. It, it caught my eye. I didn't realize you were doing that until I, I thought, well, I'm going to go on his website and look at a couple of different things before we uh, get together here on Thursday night. And I happened to catch my eye. And I thought, i got to ask Tom about that. So when was that sort of yeah. put together? How long ago was that put together? No, that's, that's just recent. That's, that's only been out about, uh, oh, I'd say six or eight months now. That's a brand-new offering. It's just, okay. it's just being launched. It's just being launched now. Uh, you, get my news, you get my newsletter, I'm sure, so you'll see – You'll see yes. things put in that newsletter now from time to time. It'll update people on things. Uh, we're putting together a package right now for a trip this fall to Scotland. We're putting together a package right now for a trip to the Dominican Republic to Punta Cana next March. Um, so uh, round up the troops, Teddy. Let's go. We're going to go to Punta Cana next March and have some fun <laughs> in the Dominican. <laughs> now, is, is there a limit to the number that you have in the groups that go? Obviously, I mean, you're not taking – you know, three bus loads because that would be a little bit too awkward. What What's the number? Is no, there a number no. that you've got in your mind that you're? You no, know, for example, for example, the Masters is always uh, it's either four or eight people. That's it, uh, and they have to be their own group. Okay. To, you know, I don't put strangers together. I don't put strangers together, obviously. So those trips, the, the right. uh, Scotland, Scotland, Ireland Masters, Ryder Cup, those events are all small groups. The trip we're planning for Punta Cana yeah. in March looks like it's going to be called the TP Invitational. That's going to be a three-day tournament, a men's invitational, open to amateurs, and we can have up to 40 people on that trip. Oh, wow. Wow, very, very exciting. Yeah, that's a great... That would be a lot of fun. Oh, for sure. Anybody out there listening, Teddy, would be eligible to go on that trip in March. That's an open event for men, a three-day trip for men, a men's amateur invitational event. Just get in touch with me, and we can uh, put you on that mailing list. Perfect. What a great, uh, great opportunity. Um, let's take a little bit of time in in the last, um, you know, few moments that we have together tonight. Um, I, I want to talk about, you know, you, you've been, and I'm not, I'm not going to throw that number out there again, Tom, because I promise you, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to give an, an inference to your age or anything like that. So I'm going, to, I'm going to avoid that number, but you've been around the industry for a long time. Um, so you've seen, as I said early on in, this, in the segment, you've seen a lot of ups and downs, a lot of changes to the industry. If you could put your thoughts 
in a vision of what the future is going to look like for golf instruction, what would be in it? You know, Ted, I'm, I'm very scared of that. I'm, I'm, I'm actually petrified of that question. Um, I, I don't want to sound like doom and gloom, but I, I think we're heading down a very, very slippery slope and a very, very dangerous path. Um, we're making golf much too complex. We're making golf much too difficult to learn. We're making golf, the learning curve, much too hard. Um, instead of being a stick and a ball sport, it's now a computer and a screen sport. Um, it's yeah. turning into a giant video game. It's only played by the most elite athletes. I think we're going in the wrong direction, and I'm, I, I, almost, feel, I almost feel in my heart, uh, I, I'm, you, you, anybody that knows me know how much I lo- knows how much I love this game and how much passion I have and how much gratitude I have for what the game has given me in my life. And I feel like, and this is a terrible feeling, by the way, Ted, I feel like I'm going to get out of the game and out of the profession just in time to not see things I don't want to see happen. Um, So I'm very, I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned about it. I'm being, I'm being as honest as I possibly can from my heart right now. Uh, I don't like, I don't like where we're going. I don't like the way the game's being taught overall in 2018. Right. Um, and I'm, ex- I'm extremely concerned about it. Yeah, I, I share, you know, th- there's certainly, a, uh, you know, amongst many of the people that I've had the uh, pleasure and opportunity to interview uh, on Golf Talk Live, you know, there's a, certainly a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of, um, you know, excitement. But at the same time, there's moments when there's a, a little bit of angst as well. And it, just because of what you just said, I think that, um, you know, as we, we talked about earlier and, you know, kind of in a half-joking way, but there's a little bit of truth to it. I think that, uh, again, technology is a great thing, and it's just a part of, and a fact of life, and we can't be scared of it. But at the same time, it can't be the driving force in an industry, in any industry, because ultimately when, what ends up happening is when you start to take out the human equation – uh, in anything, doesn't matter whether there's golf or, or life in general, and you become sort of machine-driven or technology-driven, um, and we see this with social media and that all the time, is you lose that interpersonal reaction and interreaction amongst one another. And that's one of the dangers I see is, and we talked about this, the first, again, going back to the technology, the first time you were on the show, is, you know, as a student, there's no worse feeling than standing there well, your instructor is staring at a screen or a phone or what have you for virtually two-thirds or more of the lesson and not even barely making eye contact. That's my concern is that there's not that personal interaction with a lot of the, the technologies out there. Is that kind of what you're uh, feeling as well or sensing, uh, or are you thinking of something different? No, Ted, I think you're right on it. I promise you, Ted, that somewhere out there in your audience tonight, there's a percentage of young people listening that are thinking to themselves, man, this guy, Ted, this guy that Ted's got on tonight is a dinosaur. He's, he's, he's like right. my grandfather or something. And he's a dinosaur. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm sure that's, I'm sure the people out there think that about me. And, and, and I'm sorry for that. And shame on them for not really understanding where right. we came from and how we got here. So, yeah, I, I think that's right. definitely a valid point. I think it's real. I, I think that they've never been exposed to the other side. And, you know, uh, 
uh, for all you people listening out there, feel that way. Please, please come and sit down with me and, and let's have lunch together and let's talk about it for half an hour. I, I'm sure I can, I, I'm sure I can shed some light on your experience. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, one of the, one of my, uh, I think, greatest memories that I have uh, was as a youngster when my father first took me out to learn this game. Um, you know, for the very first time. And you know, I was just a I was just a youngster. I was pretty young, and and uh, you know, didn't have a lot a lot of flex. Well, I had a lot of flexibility, but not a lot of mobility at the time. But uh, but you know, and you know what I'm where I'm going uh, with this uh, comment, but or statement. But you know, it, it brings back a lot of uh, great memories for me. And it was just the it was not even so much the hitting the golf ball or or you know smelling the grass. It was the interaction between my father and I. And him showing me something and, and, you know, instilling his wisdom onto me. And I think what scares me a little bit, and I, I know I'm kind of sounding like a dinosaur here uh, as well, is that the technology has gotten to a point that it's now driving information. So, in other words, you know, we're not having a – you and I are having a conversation, but somebody else out there is not having a conversation. They're Googling it or they're reading something on a post somewhere – and that's where they're getting their information from. So that human interaction is being lost. And I think you're exactly right. I think this is where it's hurting uh, instruction uh, in, in our field is that we're losing that, that uh, human interaction. Part of it is because of time restrictions that a lot of people have, but also because technology is driving other things that uh, is gobbling up that time. And, and, and again, we've got to somehow find a balance uh, in, in life in general, but particularly in this industry as well, or, or I fear what you're predicting uh, is going to happen. So, Teddy, I, I was fortunate enough to, to, you know, to win X number of junior tournaments and X number of college events, and I won a national championship and had all these wonderful experiences. When I look back at 60 years old, and those are very, very, listen, those are great memories, but the greatest memories I have of this game are not of the tournaments I won, they are of the people that I met that touched my life, and I was able to touch theirs yep. back. Those are the greatest memories of my game, of my, my career in golf. I won a lot of tournaments. I was very fortunate. I had a lot of great experiences competitively. That's not what I cling to the most. I cling to the relationships and the people that made my life different because of the game of golf. Yep. Yeah, it, it opens, you know, and I've said this many times, uh, on the show over the years uh, since doing this, but golf mimics life in so many ways uh, through its challenges. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that draws me to the game, you know, as much as I love, you know, hitting a well-struck drive or, or sinking that, that putt when it counts. To me, it's the life experiences that you learn on the golf course that, that really, uh, you know, speaks to me the most. Um, Tom, we got to, I hate to say this, but we got to wrap it up. My friend, our, our time's uh, coming to a close. I want to give you an opportunity though, before we go, uh, just to uh, one last time, reach out to the folks and let them know how they can get in touch with you, whether it's just to get together and, and uh, have a conversation or whether maybe you can help them with their game. How can they find you, Tom? Teddy, the easiest way for them to find me is through my website, which is simply www.tompatry.com or uh, just at my email address, tpatry at mindspring, M-I-N-D, mindspring.com. Uh, and Teddy, to your point, it doesn't have to be for a golf lesson. If they have a question I can help them with or just a comment they want to make, I love to hear from folks so that they're always welcome to contact me. And before I do close, 
I want to say to you, Ted, thank you so much for everything you do for the game. People like you who take time out of your life to do a podcast like this or do a show like this or reach people through a meeting yeah. only because of your passion for the game or so important to the game, and we hope we never lose people like you who bring the game to people every day. Well, I appreciate that, Tom, and, and that's, you know, that's exactly the reason I do it. Um, you know, I don't have to do this. I enjoy uh, the teaching aspect as well, and I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. But I get just as much enjoyment really interacting with uh, a lot of my fellow professionals. And, and it gives me an opportunity to, you know, one of the things, it's not just about letting the audience in general, uh, you know, learn about technique or learn about this or that. It, it's about exchanging information within an industry and sharing it with the general audience. And one of the things that I think has made this show particularly successful over the years, and that's why, I mean, here I'm in season six now with Golf Talk Live and season five with the women of golf that uh, uh, LPGA professional Cindy Miller co-hosts with me uh, every Tuesday morning on the same network, is that people understand and get the purpose of this show. It's not just, it's not about me. It's about sharing an industry and a passion for a game that we all love and we want to continue to let that unfold as time goes on. We don't want to. We don't want it to go away. In other words, we want people to share in the experience. Right. And I guarantee right. you that once they get out there and give it a try, and even just dip their toe in the water, so to speak, I guarantee it they'll be hooked. Teddy, God bless. You. Have a great evening. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Tom, and and uh, always love to have you come back anytime you want. Anytime you want me, I'll be here. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks, Tom. Good night, Teddy. Good night. All right, that was my very special guest, Tom Patry, uh, great uh, golf professional. Uh, again, one of Golf Magazine's top 100 teachers in America and uh, truly a, a leading voice in not only golf instruction, but uh, uh, just in life in general for, for many, many years now. I'm not going to read that number out again, Tom, in case you're still listening. Um, but uh, God bless you, my friend. Uh, you, you've... you've uh, done not only this industry but uh just done a great service in, in general as a, as a human being and uh, we love you for it um once again i want to thank uh the uh, guests uh, bill abrams and chuck evans on the coach's corner panel earlier tonight uh thanks guys for doing a fantastic job uh, as you always do and um i look forward to having you guys come back uh, again and uh, again thank you to tom patry uh, my very special uh, interview guest tonight uh, for coming on. It's always a, a blast and, and always have a good time uh, uh, getting his thoughts and, and perspectives into the game. And, and um, I hope that you enjoyed uh, listening to the segment. And uh, I'm going to tell you very quickly how you can go for, if you've missed most of the uh, discussions tonight, uh, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, and you can catch the show in its entirety in the recorded version. Just scroll down to the on demand section uh, here in just a little bit. It should uh, just take a little bit to compile everything and uh, it'll be available for you. It may even be available now um, once we uh, end the segment. But um, you can go and listen to it its entirety. A lot of uh, great information there in the Coach's Corner panel and some great uh, nuggets, if you will, that uh, my good friend Tom Patry has shared this evening as well and, and certainly gives some pause for, for thought uh, at the very least. And don't uh, hesitate to reach out to Tom. Again, go to www.tompatry.com and uh, you can get a hold of him there. Uh, through uh, many ways to contact them there on his website, so make sure that you uh, you do that. Um, I want to also thank all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in each and every week here on Golf Talk Live. Uh, 
As I've said so many times, I have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, teacher professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs stop by. And it is truly through their participation and guest appearances that have helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. I hope you keep tuning in as um, the audience continues to grow. Uh, be sure to tune in this coming Tuesday here on blogtalkradio.com's Women of Golf uh, with Cindy Miller and I as we welcome uh, some more great guests, uh, not only from the Symmetra Tour, but from the golf industry in general. So make sure you stay tuned for that. That's 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And then again, follow me next Thursday night here on Golf Talk Live from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, I guarantee you'll have a good time. Another Coach's Corner panel will be on the, on the short list. And then another great guest. You're going to love next week's guest as well. Uh, very, very excited to have him on. I'm not going to give you a, a precursor just yet. You've got to stay tuned. So come back. You won't want to miss it. I guarantee you'll, you'll enjoy it. But on that note, thank you again, everybody. Uh, thanks again to the uh, guests of tonight. And thank you, my audience, for faithfully tuning in. God bless everybody, and I will see you next Thursday right here on Golf Talk Live.